Welcome to the Reimagining Prison Podcast. Today we're going to replay an episode we recorded on site at the Parnell Correctional Center in June of 2019. At that time I had the chance to talk with then-warden Melinda Brayman as she walked me through the Vocational Village program at that facility. This was the second episode in a four-part series looking into the Michigan Department of Corrections, which I highly encourage you to revisit. All four original episodes are linked in the description for this episode. Throughout the series, I also spoke with the Michigan director, Heidi Washington, and also some of the men incarcerated at the Muskegon Correctional Center. Our goal in corrections is not only to keep the public safe, but it's also trying to make the community safer for when these guys return. And the majority of the gentlemen that we house and the women that we house in our correctional facilities, they're gonna be going home at some point um, in their time. So I would rather do something to make it safer for my neighborhood, for your neighborhood, for everybody, and for the people that are going back out, transitioning back out into the community, giving them a, a better chance of success so that they don't come back. Welcome to the Reimagining Prison Podcast. We're in Michigan today talking to the warden of the Parnell Correctional Facility, Melinda Brayman. We're here to talk to Melinda about the Vocational Village program that's in this facility. Welcome, Melinda, to the podcast. Thank you, Sam. Why don't we start out by asking, uh, let me ask you a question about your own path in corrections. Uh, how did you start, why corrections? How did you ever get started uh, working in corrections? Well, when I was in high school, um, I, I came from a family of corrections. My father was an assistant deputy warden in corrections. Mm -hmm. um, I grew up in Ionia, Michigan, where we had five prisons at the time there. So uh, corrections was pretty prevalent in that area. But I, it always intrigued me, the work that he did. Um, and it, it also was something that was kind of almost calling to me, just because I, I knew some of the negativity that he received from outside community members about the job that he did. Um, but I knew he had a passion for it, and he really believed in what he was doing was the right thing within corrections, and so it kind of drew me to that profession. So when I was in high school, we had a career day, um, and I was able to job shadow with Pam Withrow, who was a warden at the time at the Michigan Reformatory. Um, and the day that I spent with her as a warden uh, was very interesting. Um, when I set out to actually explore that career more in depth, I did never thought that I'd be a warden. I didn't really anticipate going that far. I kind of, my sights were on the deputy warden position um, because I liked being involved with things and hands-on programming, all that kind of stuff. Very so unique. You usually don't find people who are younger wanting to go into corrections. Yeah, or, and so I, I actually went <clears throat> to college um, knowing that I was going to go into criminal justice with a sociology background um, mm -hmm. in criminology. And I also um, decided that my dad actually recommended that I do an internship through the Department of Corrections just to make sure that it was a path that I wanted to do. And I, I think he had concerns because I was a female. And back then, at that time, it was kind of controversial, females sure. being in corrections. Here what in year did you enter corrections? Or what, what was your first job in corrections? Um, I hired in as an intern in 1993. <clears throat> mm -hmm. and, and your first full-time work, what was it? I hired in as soon as I graduated from college in 97. Okay. And so, but I did three internships in the time that I was in college. When did you become a warden? Uh, 2017, okay. January 2017. What has changed in corrections since the 90s? Oh, a lot. Um, what are the biggest changes you've noticed? Well, the humanity piece of it. In um, what sense? When I first started, you weren't allowed to speak with prisoners as people. 
Hmm. Um, basically, our job was just to make sure that they were incarcerated, that we were keeping the public safe. Um, but you weren't really to interact with them. Uh, you were just basically there to make sure that your unit was safe, that the paperwork was being completed, but you really didn't go above and beyond trying to assist them mm. with their needs um, as much as you possibly could. And now, fast forwarding to today, that mindset has completely changed mm -hmm. because I think we've learned through the past years how important it is, you know, our, our goal in corrections is not only to keep the public safe, but it's also trying to make the community safer for when these guys return. And the majority of the gentlemen that we house and the women that we house in our correctional facilities, they're going to be going home at some point right. um, in their time. So I would rather do something to make it safer for my neighborhood, for your neighborhood, for everybody, and for the people that are going back out, transitioning back out into the community, giving them a, a better chance of success so that they don't come back. How do you think you've changed since you've been in corrections? I'm a lot more open-minded um, about things. I'm not as closed-minded. Not that I was closed-minded to begin with, but I, growing up um, in the early 80s and 90s, corrections had a different mindset. Mm -hmm. So um, I kind of had to step outside the boundaries a little bit and kind of learn mm -hmm. who I wanted to become in corrections and what my goals for corrections were and kind of go my own path of where I saw myself going. And one of those directions was programs. Okay. Um, early on in my career, when I just hired in as a, actually as an intern and as a uh, case manager, prison counselor, I decided to get involved with a program called uh, Strategies for Thinking Productively, which later on became Thinking for a Change, mm -hmm. um, which deals a lot with the cognitive thinking, you know, and, and teaching these guys, training these guys, getting them to examine their own thought processes and how, you know, it, it was always kind of funny that you you talk to the gentleman in a group and they talk about they received a misconduct, only they would say, I caught a misconduct, like right. it fell out of the air or something and they didn't do anything to receive it. Right. And you kind of had to help change that mindset. And when you actually started seeing that information kind of click for them yeah. and they started looking at their own thought patterns and you start seeing the change in their behavior, that's what kind of motivated me to continue down that direction. It's one of the phrases that's always driven me crazy. I caught a case. Yep, yep, exactly. Same, same thing. <laughs> Well, speaking of programs, we're in Michigan looking at the Vocational Village Program, which is a fascinating program. We're actually in the building, and we're going to be going around talking to some people just a little bit later on the podcast. Melinda, why don't we start out, explain to us, like in real general terms, what is the Vocational Village, and when did it start here at Parnon? I believe that you were part of the first Vocational Village as well. Yes. Uh, we started the first Vocational Village at the Richard A. Hanlon Correctional Facility back in 2016, um, shortly after Director Washington took over as the director of the Michigan Department of Corrections. It was kind of a vision that she had foreseen and, and wanted to see come to fruition, um, that we have a program developed around um, vocational skilled trades and, and helping these incarcerated persons becoming more viable for employment once they get out. And we had a space that was already set up at the Ionia facility um, where the first one started. And I was a deputy warden at the time, working uh, with Warden Burton, mm -hmm. Dwayne Burton. And we worked with Director Washington, as well as many other individuals, uh, to get that program up and running. And it was actually a huge success. And it was pretty transformational to see how the gentlemen change when they're involved with that program. And, and part of the change was just when you had the right staff involved with that program, encouraging these guys to continue. And some of these guys would be putting these programs, these trade, these training programs, thinking that they couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that we told them in the beginning stages was give us two to three weeks in the program. And if you 
still feel that it's not for you, that you can't do it, we'll talk to you, we'll counsel you, recounsel you, and see if we can find a better fit. But give it a couple of weeks because you might be surprised on what you find. When did it start in this facility? This facility, it started in uh, August of 2017. And behind me is a board that lists all the different programs and all of the different inmates into different programs. What mm -hmm. kind of programs are offered here at your facility for trades? We have uh, CNC robotics. We have building trades carpentry, masonry concrete. We have automotive. Uh, we have CDL, commercial truck driving program. We also have a forklift program certification that all of our village guys receive, regardless of the trade that they're involved with. And we're getting ready to add two new programs this year. Um, we're anticipating around July, between July and August, that we'll add those two programs. The first one is the Last Mile, which is a coding program, um, which we're looking to kick that off first part of July. And the second program is a tree trimming lineman program, which we're collaborating with DTE mm -hmm. um, for that program because there's a desperate need here in Michigan and I'm sure elsewhere where they, they need guys that can, and women that can learn how to climb trees, trim the trees and, and linemen to set the poles up and everything. So how many men are actually in the program, the vocational village program, approximately? About just under, probably I would say about 170. And then this prison holds how many people? 1,655. Okay, so about 10%. Yep. Are, they, are they housed differently than other inmates, or are they housed together? Yeah, so what we've set up, and this, this was how it was set up at the first site in Ionia, um, and we just kind of continued it forward here, down here, um, is they all live in the same housing unit. We want them all together so that they can kind of be a support system for each other, a community mm -hmm. with, amongst themselves. Um, and they're all kind of going through the same thing. So depending on what stage in the program they are, some of the guys that are just starting out, guys that have already completed the program and graduated can be mentors to these guys and help encourage them to stay, stick with it and to work hard. And they can also tutor each other in the housing unit as well, which does happen quite often. We have set up uh, study time for these guys later in the evening when the day rooms are closed that they can actually go in and tutor each other. Mm. We also give them, you know, a few other incentives. Uh, they don't always have access to the telephones to call their loved ones because they're involved with programming most of the day, Monday through Friday. So we set up, you know, different time slots later in the evening that they can do that as well. And this program is set up, one of the other things that's very unique about this program is that it's set up Monday through Friday. They come over here from about 6.30 in the morning until about 2.30 in the afternoon. And then after that, a lot of them go to their other core programming that's required mm -hmm. by the parole board. Sure. And it's intentional that we set it up that way because a lot of these gentlemen that first get involved with the program, they've never held a job before. Mm -hmm. And how can we expect them when they parole out and we set them up with an employment, how can we expect them to show up to work? And that's one of the biggest things the employers say is we just want somebody to show up. Is there a is there a requirement? What are the screening requirements to enter the program? Do you have to have so much time left? Yeah, typically we look at between 18 months to 24 months, but depending on the program, like mm -hmm. our CDL truck driving program, um, that's a little shorter, so they don't necessarily have to have that much time. So we kind of look at guys that are a year or less for that program. Um, and then, of course, you know, we have to look at different things, like, you know, for auto mechanics, we, we got to look at their past criminal history. There's sure. certain crimes that, you know, would exclude them from being able to even get a job as a mechanic right. in a shop. So those are things that we look at on the front end because we want to make sure that when we're placing these guys in the trade, mm -hmm. that we're setting them up for success and not failure. How do you recruit your teaching staff to teach the various trades? How are we recruiting? Yeah, how do you um, recruit the staff that teach? Well, 
we interview, mm-hmm. you know, but we... I mean, they weren't here before the program nope, started. You had to nope. go out and find people that yep, wanted to come yep. in and do we, that. We post, you know, basically we have a civil service website where we post job postings and mm-hmm. stuff. We also word of mouth. Um, if we have an instructor that might know of some people that might be interested, you know, we reach out to them and, and try to find individuals to apply for the positions. Um, and then most of the positions that we hire for the instructors here at this facility, myself as well as the principal... Um, and our specialists from Lansing, we all sit in on the interviews together because not only are the skills of the position very important to us, but the energy of that person is mm-hmm. very important because this, this is a unique environment out here. Mm-hmm. Um, not only do you have to have the capabilities to teach, but we also want you to have leadership skills and motivate our students to want to become more, not just finish the class, but actually get jobs and be. Do you have a waiting list? Yes. How many? Lots? Um, on our board, I would say we probably have between 20 and 30, mm-hmm. um, and we're routinely, at least once a month, sometimes more often, we screen these guys, uh, a committee of us meet in Lansing, and we go through all the individuals that have either applied or that we're looking at, you know, extending out an invite to see if that's something they'd be interested in participating in. So you can live in another institution and be transferred to this institution Absolutely. for this program. And many of our gentlemen here right now have been transferred here for the program. Mm-hmm. And we do have gentlemen that are on a waiting list that are not here yet that are waiting. When spots open up, they'll be transferred here to be placed in the program at some point. Okay. So we do have um, three different stages in our in our unit. We have a staging area where the gentlemen that are here waiting for a spot to open up that mm-hmm. have already been selected for the program, they're in that unit as well as the gentlemen that are currently in the program and then gentlemen that are either tutors or graduates of the program waiting to go out on parole. All of them stay in that same unit until they parole out once they get there. Great. Anything else you want to tell me before we move on? I'm going to talk to the uh, to Jared Stuchel, who, yep. who, who uh, takes care of the employment-type issues for the Parnell inmates, and we're going to talk about employers and that type of uh, interaction. You know, the only thing I can say is this is a phenomenal program, and, you know, there's you, you have your skeptics out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but for those of us that are directly involved with this program and have been here from the beginning, when you can see the type of change that takes place with these guys, and and I can tell you when you walk around today and you speak with these gentlemen, mm-hmm. that one of the th- words that you're going to hear quite commonly from these guys is they have hope. Well, that's great. W- one last question. Uh, behind me, there's a board that has a calendar of all of the tours that come yep. through this. Give Just give the audience a, an idea of how many people actually come through to tour this program. You want me to list some of the individuals coming? Yeah. We have... Uh, Google was just here with Leaders Quest mm-hmm. um, last week, and Director Washington was here for that. We have several uh, Carpenters Union people that are going to be coming in. Um, in June, we have the University of Michigan Magnify program where they send students in here to kind of shadow some of our employees here and talk to the gentlemen. Um, they come in and, and they kind of give their feedback on the process and mm-hmm. how it motivates our guys to try to be successful once they get out. So that's just a few. I mean, to look yeah. at our board, we There's probably a lot have there. about 15 to 20 tours coming in the next month. Yeah, it's a lot. Well, thanks, uh, Melinda. Yes, Appreciate thank you, your Sam. time. Now we will hear from Jared Stuchel, who coordinates with Vocational Village participants as well as outside employers. Jared, how are you? I'm doing well, Sam. How are you? Good. How long have you worked with the Vocational Village program? I've been here almost a year working with guys, getting them placed in jobs. Um, beforehand, I was an employment readiness instructor at another location, and I've been with the Department of Corrections for almost five years. How is the program and the participants marketed to employers? Well, we have all of our programs are nationally recognized certificates that these guys earn while going through the program. 
And, you know, the biggest thing is when we're talking to employers is they want guys that are going to show up to work. And with the guys that have left the villages, we have are from this village, we have success stories that we get from employers when I check in with them. During the polar vortex in the wintertime, we had a guy ride his bicycle to work to be the first one there so he could um, make sure that he got his work done and stayed employed with Spartan Toyota. And just from the Carpenters Union recently, we just got two or three videos of guys on a job site working that we show other inmates to keep them motivated and working in the program. Give us a, give us a, su- a success story from an inmate that comes to mind. Um, we had a gentleman that was incarcerated for 31 years. Um, he went through our CNC program, and he also um, did the janitorial program that was offered at this facility, but it's not in the village. And he was worried about going to work at a large place with a ton of people, being that he's been incarcerated for 31 years. He, We got him a job with a cleaning company out of Detroit, and he's being successful right now and just seeing somebody after 31 years to see the passion he had when he got out to be successful so he didn't have to keep living the road he was living so a few minutes ago we were talking with uh, the warden and we talked about the tour groups that are coming through and those tour groups include employers when an employer comes to tour the vocational village what kind of questions are they asking you what are they interested in do they have any apprehension or concern Well, it's funny because when we walk out here, we don't talk much about the village and what it is. We let them see the whole prison as itself. And then when they get through, come through the village and look at the different programs we have going on, they kind of see the difference in the energy level that the instructors have and that the inmates are getting from being in the programs here. And then we do a breakout session after we're done touring and talk to them about what they saw and different things. And it's remarkable hearing what they say. You know, they never imagined something like this would be in a prison. They can't imagine that it is here. Do they have any apprehension about hiring inmates? They do not. When they first come in, they're kind of nervous about it. But after they um, walk through and see the programs that we offer, and then we even do interviews after a lot of the tours, and they sit down and talk to the guys one-on-one, and they can't believe the soft skills that they get from being out here from the programs that we offer here and just how successful and eager they are to get started. Now, there's a large board behind me that tracks, I believe, every inmate within 90 days of their release. Correct. When they hit that 90-day mark, what how do what do you do with them at that point? I start looking at 90 days for the county that they're paroling to, and I meet with them one-on-one to see where they want to go, if they want to go back to that county or if they would like to, us to look at other opportunities in other counties for them to be successful. So we I kind of meet with them one-on-one to see what jobs are available in the county they're going back to, and then we also look at expanding our horizon to send them elsewhere to another county if employers are in need of what trade they are in. So how do you actually um, – get an employer and a participant in the program together to the point of hire. What is there a typical process that follows? Um, we do Skype interviews and we also do phone interviews once in a while, but most of our interviews take place face to face. So we have companies that have been here six or seven times that come back on a monthly basis to interview guys that are in certain programs. And I mean, Jackson's not a large town. Uh, are these employers outside of Jackson, other cities around the state? I mean, what kind of breadth do you have in the state of Michigan for a program like this? For employers? Um, it's all over the all over the state of Michigan that we bring employers in. Actually, we just uh, recently had an employer fly in from Arkansas, which has a company in Muskegon, but mm-hmm. their headquarters is in Arkansas that came to see what we're doing here. Okay. What's your success rate? First of all, let me ask, what's your success rate as far as the number of inmates that leave here with a job? Uh, We're 149 out of 160, which is 93% for guys being placed in a job before they walk out the door. Great. And what's the success rate as far as on the board you have the months there? What does that represent? 
Um, each month it just represents how many guys have left and how many guys have left with a job in hand. Like in December, we had 11 out of 13 guys leave with a job in hand. January, 22 out of 23. February, 22 out of 24. March, we were 16 out of 16. And then April, we were 13 out of 14. That's amazing considering in GP how that usually works. Yeah, I absolutely. Yeah. Anything else that I didn't ask that you think the audience would like to know about the, the employer piece of this program? You know, when the employers come in, it's funny to see them kind of walk through and they're kind of eager to see what we're doing here because, you know, they hear word of mouth a lot of times or it's cold calls or emails that I send them when I see they're hiring on different websites and things like that. But just when they come in here, just the energy that they get from this place. I mean, you can't make it up and that's something you can't fake is just how excited these guys are to get a chance to be successful. And every tour that we have, it could be a job interview for these guys. And that's something that we stress is, you know, when employers come up and talk to you and make sure, you know, you look them in the eye, talk to them, shake their hand, all the little things that matter in interviews. Yeah. Well, thanks, Jared, for your time. Yep, thank you. Let's take a walk through the Vocational Village area at Parnell and talk with some of the instructors and participants to get their perspectives on the program. We're sitting down with one of the participants of the Vocational Village. His name is Todd. Good morning, Todd. Good morning. Uh, where are you from? Uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan. And uh, how long have you uh, been in prison? Five and a half years right now. Okay. Yep. What kind of employment history did you have before you come? I was a quality engineer for a furniture company for okay. 30 years, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, I really enjoyed that, and I briefly retired after, okay. after that 30 years. And so how did you first hear about the uh, Vocational Village program? I was at another facility. Uh, it was early on, and at the time, it was a very limited offering of what was available. Mm -hmm. uh, when I got to this facility, they had uh, a lot more programs uh, to choose from, and uh, that's why I'm participating in this. What were you interested in program-wise? Uh, the first choice, the only one they really had was welding, mm -hmm. uh, but the CNC and robotics is what interests me the most. Okay, and, and which one are you in? Uh, CNC and robotics. And so how long have you been in the program? Let's see, four and a half months now. Okay. Yep. What was your initial concerns or apprehension about coming in? Did you have any? Uh, not really. I'm pretty open-minded, mm -hmm. so I didn't think I'd have any real problems. I'm a fairly quick learner. Okay. So um, learning new programming, uh, new technology, that doesn't really bother me. Okay. What was your, what's been your experience so far? Uh, it's fantastic. Um, the uh, selection of equipment that they've got here at this facility is great. Mm -hmm. um, the training is great. The teachers are very uh, helpful, cooperative. Um, I see it as a, a big plus for the inmates that are here. Okay. And is this your first time in? Yes. And yeah. so are you looking to do this type of trade when, you, when you're released? Yeah. Yeah. How much more time do you have to do? Uh, about uh, 11 months. Okay. Um, give us some, some sense. You said uh, the guys like the program. Give us some sense of the community within the group of guys that are in the vocational village. Different uh, than typical prison your first five years? Yeah. I mean, for me, when I came in, you know, you hear things, different things about prison. Sure. It's this, it's that. Um, I didn't know there'd be these types of opportunities available. I mean, I, I guess this is kind of new. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's kind of new to Michigan. And uh, I just see it as a big plus mm -hmm. for the guys. We have a diverse group of guys. They're from all different backgrounds. Some guys have owned their own businesses. Uh, some I don't think really ever had a job before. So I think that's a, a nice 
I'll call it a diverse group to sure. work with. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Uh, anything else you think our audience would like to know about the uh, Vocational Village Program from your perspective? All I can say is I only see it as positive. When I first came into the system, I, um, I don't want to judge, but uh, it seems like a waste of human energy, um, kind of what they call the, the warehousing of people. Um, I know this can't be a big hug fest for guys. It has sure. to be. There has to be some uh, learning and pain that goes with it. But right. uh, to have people just sit around and not do anything, I I saw that as not very rehabilitative. Sure. And this uh, program, because it's so diverse. I mean, here they have CNC robotics, they have masonry, they have woodworking. They're they're even adding a program called the Last Mile, mm -hmm. which is backed by Google and and it's for, for coding, right. um, just the diversity of things that a guy can learn and go out and apply in the world is uh, huge. I mean, and a lot of these guys, they come from, uh, this is what I've found, they come from terrible situations at home, uh, maybe have had drug addictions and, and problems that they're trying to get over, and uh, this gives them a real opportunity to kind of go out and get a job, establish themselves as a, as a productive citizen right. instead of going back to what they did before. Okay. And, and I, I'm sure some will fall into that, but hopefully, you know, this goes towards at least making incremental improvements in the system. Well, yeah. thanks, Todd, for your time. Appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. We're here with Eric, who's the instructor in the uh, Masonry Concrete Lab. Uh, Eric, you were telling me that uh, out of so many who leave this industry, very few come into it. What were the numbers? About for every three or four people that are retiring in this trade, only one person's taking that job. And why do you think that is? I, well, over 30 or 40 years, people have been told constantly they have to go to college to get an education and get a good job. And the fact is, in skilled trades, you can make a great living, get a pension, and uh, provide for your family. And so the employment outlook for this trade is very good. It's excellent right now. Uh, we can't get enough guys doing this uh, type of work. How many is in your class? We have 34 guys right now. And how long a class is it? It ranges anywhere from four to uh, 14 months, okay. depending on how long a guy has left. Uh, Great. Super. Good talking to you. Good talking to you. What's your name? Korean County. Okay, and we're here in the CNC lab. What do you do here? You're a participant in the Vocational Village, but someone said you just became a tutor? Yeah, I became a tutor probably about two weeks ago. And what do you tutor? Tutor them how to um, make a program, set up a program, also teach them the function of the robot, what it is to cut the robot on, cut it off so we can reboot the program, mm -hmm. but we can change the functions on the program, on the robot, also teach them how to palletize what we're going to be using in the work first. Uh, how long have you been in the program? Two months. Any experience before you came in? None at all. Nothing like this before? At all. Nothing. What was your interest in coming to the program to do this? I didn't have any interest. The lady said I needed to take a trade, so when I took a trade, I didn't want to work with my hands. Mm -hmm. So then when I started doing the robot, I fell in love with the robot and it just jump started from then and then three weeks later I was a tutor. Any anxiety that you wouldn't be able to do it when you started? Since it was so new. Yes, because I'm looking at the robot and it looks intimidating, but my tutor before me helped me and it just clicked in my mind and now I love it. How long you been in? Mm, 
two years. And how much more time you got before you get out? About oh, 10 months. Okay. Do you have, you're confident you'll be able to get a position? I'm very confident. Okay, super. Good to meet you. Thank you. You have a good day. We're here with Paul Phelps, the instructor in the Carpentry Lab. Uh, Paul, tell us about the Carpentry Lab briefly and what kind of certifications uh, curriculum do you folks use? Well, we recently, uh, we recently added the Carpenters Union curriculum that they use in their apprenticeship school. So what happens is when the, our guys complete the program here at Parnell, um, they get a certificate that guarantees them access into any uh, Carpenters Union apprenticeship in the country. Wow, great. Thank you for listening to the Reimagining Prison Podcast, produced and sponsored by Prison Fellowship. Tell us what you think by rating and reviewing the Reimagining Prison Podcast on iTunes. To reach out with any other feedback or suggestions for future podcast guests, you can email us at reimaginingprisonpodcast at pfm.org. You will find this email address in the description for this episode as well.